Um, I'm going to say that when Paulette first asked me to speak, she said you can talk about caregiving, you can talk about your work with encouragement ministry, I want you to talk a little bit about your own personal experience. What she failed to tell me is that I would be following Gail Shrigley and Lois Bechtel. <laughs> and um, I've questioned that in the last week, Paulette. I, I really have. I think we're good friends, but oh my goodness, was Lois not amazing last week? Just amazing. She said so many things that touched my heart. Um, and so I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story and I'm going to tell you how I think that I'm sure that God has worked through every part of my story. And I think he was getting me ready for this job that I'm doing now. Um, but I also know he was getting me ready just to care. And so I love what I do at Encouragement Ministries. For 39 years, I worked here at the school. And I love that job. But God has filled a new place in my heart that is just simply amazing. I get to meet with people every day. And yes, most of them are in a crisis or something is going on. But you know, caregiving is simply looking after someone who needs care and support. And it can take many forms, many, many forms. Um, and many of you are in that role. Um, so... Um, I just, I want to talk to you about this. Um, my first experience with caregiving was with my mom. Now, some of you did not know my mom, but she is probably the best woman I've ever known. And she had osteoporosis so badly that she could break a bone by just simply turning over in the bed. And so she lived alone for a while, and then her health declined and she began to fall more and heal slower. And so I said, hey, you can move in with us. Um, my kids were in high school and college at the time. Um, I was married at the time. And I said, you can move in with us. And she lived with us for five years. And I'm going to tell you that when we went through all of the things we went through, I would have never had my high school and college children take care of their grandmother like they had to do. But now in looking back, which is one of the gracious things of getting older, is in looking back and seeing what God has done in your life. And looking back, it was one of the best things they could have done. It gave them an empathy. It gave them um, wisdom. And they actually sat at her feet. Um, they would sit in her room. They would tell her things. Um, my son was in college, and he would come in, and if he was having an issue, he'd sit down late at night and sit with her, and she loved that, and he did too. Um, so, I, as I said, I was married, and anything I tell you today, I was talking to my kids yesterday, and I said, I don't want to make um, Greg sound like a bad person. Um, I still pray for him every day. I wish that our marriage had worked out, but it didn't. So the things that I say today are to tell you my story, to tell you how I think God worked through that, um, to bring me to where I am today. Um, it's not for you to think badly of him. Um, I don't want you to do that. Um, but 
he suffers from um, bipolar disorder and we had been in counseling for years. Um, he also was addicted to alcohol and pain medicine and pornography, just most anything you can. But you've got to know that I had in my mind that divorce was the worst thing that you could ever do. And so, I'm dealing with somebody who's bipolar, addicted. We're going to church every Sunday. I'm playing the game. I don't tell anybody. I don't tell anybody. There are people in this room, I see some of them, that I worked with and who loved me. And I never told you, did I? Never told you. Um, I didn't tell anybody because I was sure that with counseling and hard work um, that we can make it work. Um, didn't tell my kids how sick their dad was. Um, and so you will see... I learned in counseling, you're as sick as the secrets you keep. I try not to keep secrets anymore, but I kept them because I wanted my marriage to work. And I, you know, and everybody says it takes two to make a marriage, it takes two to make a divorce. And I'm going to say I was up against big odds. Up against big odds. So my mom is living with us. Did yes. your children know? I mean, did your children know? No. They knew their dad was in the bed a lot. They knew that uh, he would be in the bed for days, but I, I told them he was depressed, which is what he was, but it was so much more than that. So they did not know about that for a long time. So my mom is living in the house. I'm living with this. Um, the bipolar gets worse with the drugs and the alcohol and that kind of thing. And so I knew that when he took my mom's own pain medicine, I had to do something. I knew, whew, <clears throat> Wayne and Diana Reed were our close, dear friends. I knew when Diana called me one day and said, Wayne is missing 50 pain pills. <gasps> Could Greg have possibly taken them? Get. Um, <clears throat> and so, um, at that point, um, it is amazing that we stayed such close friends with Wayne and Diana, that they were so good to us. And at that point, um, he went into a rehab, and I thought things were going to get better. But then the anger came. And so I said, I don't think we can be in the same house. And so um, he at first was really good with that. He offered to move out. But the longer he was gone, the angrier he got. And so I can tell you that um, my own kids, this, so when it hit them, let me say this, they didn't know that they knew more than they thought they knew. So when I sat them down and told them, <clears throat> Matt was like, that makes sense now. 
And he said stories to me of like, um, you know, Dad and I would go get breakfast in the morning and bring back to y'all from um, somewhere. And he said, I thought everybody's dad drank out of a brown paper bag. I didn't know what dad was doing. Did not know. Um, I do now. It all makes sense. And they were so supportive and they were just like, oh, this all makes sense. Well, when the anger got worse um, and we were still in counseling, um, it just, it spiraled out of control one day. And my own kids called 911 to our house. The police came. Matt and Jen are on the front porch with their dad. They're both close to six feet tall. Greg is six feet tall. <clears throat> I see the guy pull up. I'm still in the house. I see the guy pull up and I see him talking to his walkie-talkie and about three cars come in. This is somebody who's told nobody what's going on and I have three police cars in front of my house. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, um, I've hidden in hotels for days at a time and I realized I was to the point where I couldn't keep all this to myself. And I began telling people and people... So, let me say this. When somebody comes to you and says, I'm getting a divorce, don't try to fix them. Listen to them. Um, I did have people come and say things like, it takes two people to make a marriage. It takes two people to be divorced. Uh, you know, we've been married for 25 years. Um, at, you know, after 25 years, things get a little stale. Are you, just, are you sure, Pat, you're doing all the things? It's my fault because I hadn't told them what was going on. But you see, they were trying to, to give me little answers to help fix this so there would not be a divorce. And that just made me go underground more, if that makes sense. So I would say, listen, listen. Um, as Lois said last week, I learned by error and trial. Um, there were, with my mom, there were many laughs. There were tender times. <clears throat> and I cannot tell you, she was living in my home. I'd never told her. When I told her, she said, I'm so sorry for you. I'm so sorry you didn't tell me. I got your back. I've got your back. So we live together. She goes through all of this with me. Um, she was so good. But let me say that caring for somebody you love has its hard days. Like the time she bit me. <laughs> um, and so um, she, um, she was on her walker, and I was just so sure that she could continue walking if she did her exercises. And I had her walker, and I'm kind of pulling it. And she says, I can't go another step. Mom, you can. You just, you, you know, to get your strength, you're going you're gonna to have to fight a little harder. You can do this. I can't go another step, Pat. And I said, come on, two more steps. And she just leaned over, and she bit me <laughs> on the arm. She left her teeth marks there. This is the gentlest, kindest woman. And she, I said, why did you bite me? And she said, I couldn't get your attention. <clears throat> um, so there, you have to laugh. There are a lot of things. But So I'm working at Otter Creek, and Matt comes in one day, and he says, Mom, 
you're going through an awful time with dad. You're trying to come home and care for Gan. You are going to lose your mind if you don't get some help. And so he said, I'm going to tell you that I have, uh, I'm going to help you. I'm going to take two days a week and keep Gan myself. And I said, oh, no, 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 you're in college. You can't do that. And he said, um, I've already done it. Change my schedule. I'm going to have classes Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm going to care for her on Tuesday, Thursday. Now, this meant giving her a shower. It meant changing her diapers. It meant, and he went in and said to her, you have blessed my life so much. If you can do it, I can do it. And so one day he was giving her a shower, and she said, Matt, I'm just so embarrassed that you're having to give me a shower. And he said, don't worry, i got my eyes closed. (laughs) Um, um, And so during this time, my oldest sister, who's 13 years older than me, calls and says, I've been diagnosed with breast cancer. So I'm losing my husband, caring for my mom, got my oldest sister with breast cancer. She did really, really well for about five years. And then it metastasized, and we knew she didn't have long to live, and she lived in Atlanta. And um, she had two sons. And we would take turns going to Atlanta. Whoever's turn it was, whoever's weekend it was, would leave on a Thursday night and stay till Monday morning to give her husband some reprieve. We would go and stay with her. Um, and so her son would go, her oldest son would go one week, her next son the next week, me the next week, and we did that every three weeks. So at this point, um, mom is getting worse and worse, and she's not able to get out of the bed. So the time comes when um, I say, I, I can't do this anymore. And so I take her to the Meadows, and uh, she's there. And, um, and so I'm going, and she would say, um, tell me how Betty is. I want, you know, when I would go, she always wanted to know about Betty, my oldest sister. And so when Betty got so bad she passed away, I was down there, and when I came back, I said to the people at the nursing home, don't tell my mom. I'll tell her when I come back. And when I got back, I came in, and she said, you've been gone a lot of days. And I said, yes, I have. Um, She said, have you been with Betty? And I said, I have. And she said, is she better? And I said, no. And she said, just don't tell me she died. And I said, well, Mom, she did. She curled up in a fetal position, and I said, Mom, what can I do? And she said, just crawl up here and hold me. So I think about Lois and what she's going through, and my mom said, no mom should lose their child no matter how old they are. Um, So not long after that, she said, you know, Pat, I've lived a long time. I don't have much life to live, I'm in the bed, I can't get out, I break the bones. I, I think I'm ready to go be with Jesus. And she said, will you pray that I go be with Jesus? And I said, uh, let me think about that. <laughs> I don't know that I've prayed that before, that, you, that 
you just, it's, you go, I don't know, let me think about it. I left. I thought about it a lot when I came back. She said, have you thought about it? Because I want us to pray together. That I, She said, think about this. I'll be better off. Think about this. I'll be better off. So we began to pray every time I went. That was her time to go and be with Jesus. Um, during her last week of life, she did the most amazing thing in the world. She wanted everybody, my nephews, my children. She wanted my ex-husband to come. And you know what she did? She, in front of my children, she said to him, you hurt my baby. I'm, I'm the last of four. My family would tell you I was a mistake because I've got a sister. I had a sister 13 years older, one 10 years older, and then a brother. Um, but... She would always say, oh, no, you weren't a mistake. But then when she was on drugs and in the... <laughs> she said to me one day, she got my chin, and she said, sweetheart, you're the best little mistake I ever made. <laughs> um, but she called everybody in, and she said to Greg, she said, um, you, you hurt my baby, and you hurt her really bad. But I can't waste my time not forgiving you. And so I need to say out loud to you right now, I forgive you. I don't like what you did. <coughs> I don't like it. But I forgive you. And then she turned to my kids and she said, Do not waste your life being angry at your dad. He did some pretty harsh things. Don't waste your life being angry. You see how blessed I am to have had that? Um, and so, um, um, I rejoiced the day she took her last breath. And I still fell over her bed crying. I still miss my mom today. I still miss her. Um, so that... So she's, she's declining, yes, she's declining, and, um, and we can tell she's taking fewer and fewer breaths, and she wanted us to be with her. She loved, she loves my kids so much, and my daughter-in-law. And so there was a time when she said, I, I think it's going to be soon. Let's hold hands. So we're holding hands, and she said, I have an idea. Mom, what is your idea? I think we should go together. <laughs> my daughter-in-law, my daughter-in-law thought my mom had so much power in prayer. She honestly was going. I'm sorry, can you speak up just a little? Yes, yes, I'm sorry. Um, so... I'm going to go back and say, I know I'm jumping around, but uh, even before my mom moved in, Diana Reed and I had become good friends. Wayne was still going to the office daily at that time, and Diana took him to work, and she worked in the same office. She and Wayne stood by me through my mom and my sister's passing and through my marriage and divorce. She could lift Wayne. She had an unbelievable strength. She could pick him up. Now, y'all, I went to... He fell one day, and I tried to pick him up, and I got like this, and I came up, and he didn't. You know, she had an unbelievable strength. But during that time, 
she hurt her neck from lifting him so much. And um, so she decided, they, they tried some physical therapy, and um, they decided she needed to take steroid injections to make her neck better. And of course, who knew that she, of all people, would get one of those fatal steroid injections from that awful company in Massachusetts who was making bad drugs, and they knew they were, and she got meningitis, and she passed away. She went, she was having a really bad headache, and she went, I think it was in the middle of the night on a Saturday night, I think. I went to see her Sunday. They thought it was meningitis. They knew then what was going on. We did not. Meningitis, headache, didn't know. Um, but we soon learned that they realized she had been given one of those injections. And she was very, very sick, and she declined just daily, rapidly. I'm going to tell you, talk about Aaron and hers. This place showed up. They showed up at St. Thomas Hospital. The waiting room there was so full that it was overflowing. They prayed with Wayne. They did all kinds of things. They saw your faith. And there was a day at which we knew she was declining so badly that we, um, the nurse said, you've got to, you, we cannot continue to let so many people come in and out and see her. And she said, but I'm going to tell you something. She said, I can tell y'all are a people of faith. She said, I am too. So in this ICU room, I'll let you cram as many of those people as you can in and still shut the door. So we just crammed in there. Crammed as many as we could and shut the door. Wayne is up at her head on one side of her pillow and I'm on the other. And Wayne says, pray, Pat. So I began to pray and I said, God, we have seen you do so many things. We know you parted the Red Sea. We know you did this and this. When I said amen, Wayne said, I knew you were old, but I did not know you were at the parting of the Red Sea. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a really hard time um, for Wayne, and so when they decided to move her down to the hospice floor. They had, um, they would only let family in there, but they let me and the kids be in there. And we had a morphine pump that you could pump every so often just to help her. And Wayne looked at me and he said, I can't do that pump. Can you do it? And I said, yes, I can do it. And so we stayed there with her until she passed away. Again, the people at this church showed up. How long was it, Jeff, that y'all spent the night? Oh, gosh. Uh, Two, three, three years. Three years? Okay. So, okay. So Wayne was very dependent. What? Wayne would not say it was dependent. Wayne, I, I call him tenacious. That is a very kind word for he was as stubborn as could be. 
Um, and it's why he lived so long. But he didn't think he needed any help, but he needed men to spend the night and help him with things. So for four years, men at this church spent every night with him. Every night with him. Um, And then um, they were exhausting themselves and we needed permanent caregivers. And so we went to that. But through it all, do you see what I'm, through all the stories, through the stories with Wayne, through the stories with my mom, through the stories with Greg, God's been preparing me to listen, to love, to, um, to care um, for people. I will tell you, um, Wayne's oldest son, Wayne and Dinah's oldest son, Eric, had many problems with drugs. And... Um, it just what they went through with that was just an unbelievable hardship. But when we got a call from the police one night that they had found Eric and he had passed away because he got one of those fentanyl patches that was bad. And I think it caused a heart attack and he passed away. But anyway, so I go, the, the police call Kevin. He says to me, I cannot tell Dad can you meet me there and tell him? And I said, yes. And when I told him, he said, I knew this day was coming. I knew it was coming. So before we could have Eric's funeral, um, Wayne, the funeral home calls and says, uh, somebody has to, because the police found him, somebody has to come and identify him before we can have a funeral. And Wayne says, can't do that. Will you do that? Let me tell y'all, that's a hard thing to do. Hard thing to do. Um, So, um, Wayne had so many hospital stays, and he overcame the worst of situations. So this last time when he entered the hospital, we thought it was the same thing. We thought, he'll overcome this. As he declined, hospice was called in, and decisions had to be made. And Wayne and Kevin and I were sitting there one day, and... Wayne said, if I'm not going to get better, I want a DNR, I don't want to be transported, I don't want to blah, blah, blah. So I learned this with my mom and with Wayne, in case you don't know. Even though you signed those papers, do you know they still call you? The nursing home still called and would say, your mom's sick. She's really sick. Do you want us to transport her? If you transport them, they're going to do right. All kind, They're going to do the life-saving measures. They have to. So even though you sign those papers, when they call, okay, so they would call at 2 o'clock in the morning sometimes and say, your mom's really sick, you want a transporter? No. No, because that's what she had asked for. No. So when Wayne's so sick, I get a call, 2 o'clock in the morning. It's a nurse at Vanderbilt. And she said, Mr. Reed's blood pressure has dropped really low. We'd like to give him medicine to get it up. We know that the, what he's written here. Um, do you want us to give him the medicine? And I said, isn't Kevin there? And he gets on the phone and says, Aunt Patty, I can't say the words. I can't say them. I said, no, we don't want you to give him medicine. So, again, 
I just want to say, when, just realize that when you do that, you still might get that call. The last thing that has really um, hurt my heart is three years ago, three years ago, I got a trip to Israel and I took my sister with me and we had the time of our lives. It was great. We get back from Israel. She's having a little trouble stumbling around. So we go to the doctor, comes in. He said, you have glioblastoma. I don't know what you know about that, but it's not a pretty disease. She, from the day she was diagnosed until the day she passed away, was six weeks. The gift was, for me, that we knew every day. So every day we talked. Every day I sat with her. I stopped all other life and just sat with her. Um, but through all of these times, God's been preparing me. He's been so faithful. I have great children. I have a great God. He's been preparing me to sit with and encourage others as I've been encouraged. So what can you do? You can take your circumstances. I, I love this class, Paulette, because I think it's so important for us to tell our stories because then we really get to know each other. We really get to know each other. Um, be Aaron's and hers. Be what, this is one of my favorite verses, too. Be Aaron's and hers. You don't have to have words. I've learned that. Sometimes our words are worse than if we were just silent. You know, when we try to have the answers and we say, oh, God was just ready for your loved one before he was for my... Really? Um, I can remember when my mom passed away and somebody was being very kind, but somebody said to Matt, oh, but she lived a really long time. And he said, Mom, out of respect for you, I didn't answer what I wanted to. I wanted to say, oh, thanks, I'm not sad anymore. Um, so sometimes just sitting in silence is the best thing that you can do. I can't take away anybody's pain, but I can say, been there, done that to a lot of them, and I'm still standing. I'm still standing because of God, so hold on to him. I can make sure they don't feel alone. I think, y'all, that is one of the worst things in the world is to feel alone. And you know you can be in a crowded room and feel alone. So we need to make sure that each other does not feel alone. Um, I can say I'm still standing. Hadn't told you this story. Don't have time, not going to. I'm still standing as a mother whose son is still alive, but who suffered greatly for seven years with Crohn's. And there were a couple of times the doctor said, I'm not sure he's going to make it. And, and I remembered I'd read a Max Lucado book, and I wanted to pray this prayer. And I'm walking down the hall at the hospital, and I say, God, and I still believe this, but it's hard to say, God, you who loves him more than me, you know what's best. But you know what, God? <laughs> um, even though you know what's best. Oh, could you not thank him? Um, but I've learned to pray that prayer for many people. I don't, I don't do a lot of telling God what to do anymore. I'll say, God, you who loves more than me. 
Because I've got to convince myself that God loves that person more than I do. And that whatever it takes, He's going to see me through on my part. So, what can we do to be Aaron's and hers? Um, does anybody in here have an October birthday? Oh my, I'm sorry, I don't, but today was Doug's birthday. I know it was. I know it was. All right, so I did the, Have y'all ever been... Um, let me see how much time I got. Have y'all ever been booed? I know someone. Have you ever been booed? Well, it is when you take a Halloween treat to somebody else. And you leave it anonymously, supposedly, and it says, yes, it says you've been booed, and then that person is supposed to boo somebody else. Well, I go to boo Betty Gillette. I pull up in front of her house, and I'm really trying to, like, sneak up in her garage. I get all the way in her garage, leave the little thing. She comes running out the front door. Oh! <laughs> Come in and have soup with us. I said, oh, you are not seeing me. I just booed you, and it was supposed to be a surprise. Um, so I'm, I'm not great at booing, but when you are booed, it's a great idea, and y'all kids love it. My grandchildren love it. The other day, they're doing it all through their neighborhood, and the other day I had Adeline, and she came in, and she said, we drove up in front of her house, and she goes, Grammy, we've been booed. She was so excited. So since it was Doug's birthday today, he's been booed. But you can boo somebody. That, that takes very little time. went to see a man yesterday who has Alzheimer's. And y'all, um, some of you... Uh, may know him, um, Jerry Tucker, Laurie and Jerry Tucker. Anyway, it's getting worse. Y'all, I took him a little boo, the girls and I did, and he didn't say anything. He just held on to that basket the whole time. Just held on to it. That's being an errand and a hurry. It doesn't take anything to boo somebody. And it's funny, although um, I did have somebody that I w went to lunch with. I went to lunch with Deb and a friend of mine, Carol Harvey, and Carol says at lunch, well, somebody did this boo thing the other day, and I, I don't know who did it to me. And um, she said, have y'all been booed? And Deb said, yes, I got booed too, thinking Carol would know. And she just goes on, well, what did that person think, that I'm going to eat something from somebody I have no idea who left it at my house? Um, and so Deb finally said, it was bad. <laughs> so, um, I, um, oh, I also, um, oh, I also have these. Oh, dear, I can't open it. Um, nobody else in here? I'm just going to randomly hand them out. Um, we are never going to know what it is. Um, encouragement Ministries, um, through that, I get to go around and visit people, and I get to tell them that they've been prayed for, or that we're thinking about them, or that, um, yeah, 
Oh, there you go. Good. Um, and so this can be something that um, it just says. You can put cards in it or you can put pictures in it. Now, my grandchildren's pictures are in mine. But it says you're in my prayers. And they can put their get well cards in it or they can um, put pictures in it. And so, I don't know. I'm just going to randomly lie. You can pay for it. I pray for um, but you see just what a little thing does to lift somebody's spirits. Just do the little things. Text, call, go see. It it if you don't want to go alone, Paulette, you have my cards. I do. The cards are back there and our brochure for I encourage Okay. My cards are back there. It's got my email and it's got my um, cell phone number on it. If you don't want to go visit somebody alone, call me. I'll go with you. I, I love going to visit people. And I will tell you that even through my cards, send cards to people you don't know. I absolutely have formed a wonderful friendship with Nan's son, Troy. I did not know Troy until I learned that he had Parkinson's. And so I just began to write him notes. And I wrote several, and there was nothing. But I kept saying, if you need me, here's my phone number, call me. He texted me. He did? He did. He has texted me several times. Awesome. Thank you. And we've become friends. Huge, huge. Um, just from me sending a card. She also sent him a nice, white, fluffy temperature. <laughs> That's from cartoon. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We have a few gifts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so Encouragement Ministries has the fluffiest, whitest blanket. Now, what he said to me was, was that you tried to steal the blanket from him. <laughs> well, now, she told me she goes to watch movies with them, and they fight over it. <laughs> but I'm gonna, I just want to encourage you today, whatever your circumstances, God can turn them around to be somebody else's blessing. And just do the little things. I'm so. really astonished at what she's saying, because Troy has kind of, withdrawn so much and isolated himself and for him to reach back out that's really good you might have to send 20 cards before somebody believes you mean it but send them them. so um thank y'all for your time today thank you thank you